Good evening, and you guys go ahead and grab your seats. Thanks so much for being with us here this evening at the Medina East Campus. I just want to uh, really extend a very, very special welcome to you, by the way, if you are a guest with us here uh, this evening. And, uh, and so if you are a guest, we know it's a big deal to carve out some time on uh, 7 o'clock on Saturday night to be with us. So thanks for doing that. We count it an absolute privilege that you're able to be here. And uh, I do want to mention that if you are a guest, too, we would really encourage you, after the service is done, uh, to go out into our cafe and at our Welcome Center, uh, we have a gift bag that's for you if you are a first-time guest. That's just our way of saying thanks for being with us here uh, tonight at the Medina East Campus. Hey, when you walked in, you got a program. It looks something like this, and I just want to draw your attention to that for a moment. Uh, inside of this program, you're going to find pretty much all the latest happenings that are happening here at Grace Church. And so there's just some announcements of some up-and-coming events, ways that you can get connected. And so I just want to encourage you uh, just to kind of check that out. All of that is public information. So if it's your first time here, if it's your 100th time, here. Uh, of course, once you take advantage of everything that's in that program. But I do just want to draw your attention to a couple of quick things. One of the things you might mention in this program is a special banner that's highlighting our Give It Away initiatives. So if you've been coming to Grace for a while, you might know uh, that here at Grace Church, we have a mission statement. Our mission is to know the gospel, to live the gospel, and to give it away, to know it live it, give it away. And, uh, and as it relates to give it away, our hope there is to extend the love of Jesus and to share the gospel both with our local community and with the world. And so out in the cafe, you'll check out there's some tables that are out there, and they're kind of advertising and promoting uh, the different partnerships that we have here at Grace Church. And so, for example, here uh, in Medina, uh, we partner with Oasis of Hope. Uh, that's one way that we try to bring the hope and the love of Jesus into our community. And then globally, we actually have a partner in Uganda, an orphanage in, in, uh, in uh, Uganda that's called Jaguza Children's Ministry. That's a phenomenal opportunity as well. And both of those are partners of Grace Church at the Medina East Campus. And so if you're looking for ways to get connect, connected globally or locally uh, with ways to kind of share the love of Jesus in those ways, I'd encourage you to go out to those tables afterwards and you can kind of uh, find more information of how to get connected to those things. Um, a couple other things I do want to mention uh, just here and kind of, uh, kind of discuss a little bit that are not inside of our program. Uh, one of them that I thought might just be good for us to process through uh, quickly is I want to just say something that I think has probably been on uh, the hearts and minds of probably most of us, given the kind of the past events of this, of this last week with the election and the results that way. And so I just want to address that a little bit because I know that for many of us, we've been watching the media. We've been watching social media. Uh, we've been listening to conversations between friends and coworkers, and uh, and I don't think any of us really anticipated with the results of this election just the sheer messiness and craziness that was going to ensue afterwards. And so I just want to talk about that a little bit because I know that for, for many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, uh, what this does a lot of times is it, it creates a lot of confusion, uh, can create a lot of frustration, I think. And honestly, I, my hope is that for us it creates a lot of brokenheartedness uh, when we see the state of the culture and the state of, the, uh, of our country as it is right now. And so I think because of that, because of where our country is, because uh, so there all the different responses and uh, and those type of things that I feel like that the obligation and the privilege that I have as one of the pastors of Grace Church is not to um, direct you to any one particular person's uh, opinion on anything, but is always to, to direct our attention back to the Word of God, uh, back to prayer, and back to those things, back to the heart of our Father. And I think during this time, especially in a, in a setting that we find ourselves in right now, 
uh, that it would be really, really, really important and very significant for us just to take some time and to pray. And so that's what we want to do uh, this evening. I just want to take some time before we jump in and really just pray. Pray for the state of our country. Pray for the church uh, in the midst of this particular cultural moment that God would allow us to be his people and to kind of respond to the things that we see. So I want to invite you, just before we jump into that, would you be willing to just to, to join me as I lead us in a, a time of prayer together? So let's do that. Well, Heavenly Father, I do just want to say, first and foremost, I want to say thank you. Thank you for this great country that we have the privilege of living in. And, you know, Romans 13, Lord, you said to us that all governing authorities, every political system has been established by you. Uh, that, is, that is what your word tells us. And so because of that, Father, we do say thank you for your, for your provision to us, that you've provided us with this country. Thank you for the freedom that we have within it, God. And thank you, even as we celebrate Veterans uh, Day this past week, God, thank you for all of those who have served and are serving uh, our country, who have served to give us freedom in these ways. And so, Father, we want to just pause and first just say thank you, just recognize that uh, the goodness of you to provide these things for your people. And yet at the same time, God, we also know your, your word tells us in Daniel chapter 4 that you are sovereign over all nations, over all kingdoms, and you give them to whoever you choose. And so, Father, it's in, it's in that that those of us who follow you, follow you squarely put our trust. Uh, we, we believe, God, that you are sovereignly in control of every nation, of every kingdom. You give them to whoever you please. And so because of that, God, we know that there's nothing this past week that surprises you. There's nothing from this past week that confuses you, that sneaks up on you. All of this is within your plan. And so, God, as a result of that as well, we also know, for those of us who follow Jesus, that we have a confidence that comes in a kingdom that's much greater than the kingdom that we see here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says that uh, because we follow you, that we, have, we, we can put our hope in a kingdom that's not shaken, can't be shaken. Father, there is a kingdom, a capital K kingdom, your kingdom that will endure, and it's to that one that we want to set our hope, Father. And so as we look at our culture, we look at what's happening in this moment of time, Father, uh, we see protests and we see anxiety, we see some people who are gloating, and we see some people who are mourning, and we see a lot of messiness, God. And as a result of that, I do pray, Jesus, that you would just give us, uh, Lord, please give us wisdom. Father, I pray you'd heal the broken things just even from this past week. And Lord, uh, more than anything, I just want to pray for your church. I pray that your people, that your church, it's called upon, called by your name, Father, uh, would be able to rise up in this time to be salt and to be light. Uh, Father, you have called us in the midst of darkness not, not, to, not to become darkness, but to become light. You've called us in the midst of bitterness to be salt. And so, Father, because of that, I pray that you would help us, like Second, uh, like First Peter chapter two says, where it, it says that those who follow you should live such good lives among those who don't know you, that they might see our good works and praise you on the day that you return. And that's what we care about. I pray that you would help us, Father, to live good lives with gentleness and respect. Help us to be as wise as as wise as serpents, as gentle as doves, to be salt and light in this community that we live in. Father, help us not to react to what's happening around us. Help us not to respond to evil with evil, but instead help us to respond to the greater kingdom that many of us claim citizenship to, that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so because of that, Father, I pray that you be with your church. Help us, God. Give us clarity in how to interact and how to work and how to maneuver and how to navigate conversations and how to show love and show respect and how to be wise. And, and Lord, just give us that in this time. We beg you for it, God, we ask you this in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen. Well, thanks for praying. And I would just encourage you, please, to every time this week you get on social media and you see something or you see something in the news about a protest, let that be your cue to pray. Uh, we said it in the Citizen Series, and I believe it very, very strongly. Uh, we said that we believe that the greatest contribution that followers of Jesus have during this whole political season is our prayers. And so just to keep praying um, about these things as well. Okay, so I wanted to mention that, and then there's one other thing I wanted to mention on a little bit of a lighter note. Uh, you know, here at Grace Church, if you've been around, you might know we have a 30-year goal. Uh, we call it 30 in 30. We want to see 30 campuses planted in 30 years. So far right now, Grace Church has five campuses that we're working and developing, and I wanted to let you know about an amazing project, an amazing opportunity that's come our way in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, some of you may have heard nothing about the Atlanta project, and so I want to just tell you about that. And the way I want to do that is I want to show you a quick video from our senior pastor, Pastor Jeff, that kind of helps explain what's going on in Atlanta. So check out this video real quick. Well, hello, everyone. I wanted to let you know about an exciting partnership that Grace Church has entered into with Encompass World Partners, which is our missions agency that we've worked with for over 60 years, based in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Grace Brethren Investment Foundation. Uh, the three of us, Grace Church, Encompass, and GBIF, have entered into a partnership to plant churches in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we've discovered that immigration is massive in Atlanta, Georgia. So let me just describe it to you a little bit. Uh, when you think of this immigration, think of legal immigration, and think of how it used to work back at the turn of the last century. Uh, think of people coming over on the boats and coming to Ellis Island and getting off at Ellis Island and going into New York and pursuing the American dream. Well, the Atlanta airport is the busiest airport in the world. So think of the Atlanta airport as the new Ellis Island and the 747 as the new boat. And immigrants and refugees coming into the country legally are coming to Atlanta and they're going out of the airport with $50 in their pocket and the American dream. And it is affecting the city of Atlanta in great, great ways. Our missions agency called and said, would you guys partner with us and help to start churches for the children of these immigrants? So think of the 20 something year old, that second generation American, could we reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Uh, myself and a few of our pastors went down. We were shocked to see how diverse the area is. Uh, they say the, the most diverse square mile on planet Earth is in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, the largest Hindu temple in North America is in Atlanta, Georgia. People there are hungry for the gospel and the harvest is ripe and plentiful. Uh, I talked to the elders and we prayed and thought and did our homework and we agreed with Encompass and GBIF to partner together with them on a five-year project to try to start churches in the Atlanta area. And our goal is to start three churches in five years. Uh, then we went and said, Lord, bring us a staff. It, we, we here in suburban, you know, Northeast Ohio don't know a lot about planting churches in Georgia to multi, a multicultural population. Bring us a staff. And so I'm excited to introduce to you uh, Carlos and Emily Tez. Uh, Carlos was the chaplain at Grace College and Seminary and was working on his PhD in multicultural church planting. And Carlos is, and Emily are both originally from Colombia 
and excited to be a part of this church planting effort. And Carlos will be our campus pastor there in these efforts here in Georgia. And then Pete and Anna Yu, uh, they were living in China. And Pete is a second generation Korean American. And they were in China working at a multicultural church. They're joining us all the way from Shanghai, China, and also very excited about reaching people in the Atlanta area. So God put together a partnership. He put together a team and the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we're excited that God raised up these workers that we can send out. We call this the Atlanta Project. And these churches that we'll plant as they grow and mature will become campuses of Grace Church of Greater Akron. So we will steer this project. Uh, we will export our vision, our values, our passion for the gospel and for the lost. And Pete and Carlos will help to ingrain that into these new congregations as they're built into the future. As we pursue 30 and 30 and we pursue the high calling of Grace Church, I am so proud to, to be a part of our church. So excited and proud of the way that, that when God asks, we have always responded. That has been our history. That is our present reality. And I pray that that will always be our answer into the future. So thank you for your support. I covet your prayers, excited about what God's doing and excited how he's gonna to continue to allow us to serve him here at Grace. Yeah, some pretty exciting stuff thinking about heading down to Atlanta. And I, I want to show you that video for a few reasons. Uh, one is just to keep you in the loop of what's happening at Grace Church, let you know about some of the things that are happening and moving. And so uh, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, uh, Carlos and Pete, both Pastor Carlos and Pete and their families are going to be headed down uh, to begin this project in about a couple weeks. So the end of November, they're going to be moving down there. And so please, please, please be praying for them as they go down there. So that's one of the reasons I want to show, show you that video. The second one is because I, I I know for some of you, maybe God is stirring in your heart. And, you know, one of the things we love to do as Grace Church is we love to send and release people uh, to begin new uh, endeavors for the sake of the gospel. And so if you're a person that maybe for you, you're like, hey, you know, maybe I need to prayerfully consider going on something like that, going to Atlanta, or uh, maybe your family is already relocating to that area, and that might be an opportunity for you. And I would love to process that with you as well. And the third reason I want to show that video is also as a way of introducing to you our guest speaker for this evening. And so uh, to Tonight, we actually have a great privilege, like I mentioned, Carlos, Pastor Carlos is going to be heading uh, to Atlanta in a few weeks, but I asked him before he heads down there if he'd be willing to just share with us as we continue in this Get to Life uh, sermon series together. And so without further ado, I would love just if you guys would help join me in giving a warm Medina East welcome to Carlos Tejas. So Carlos, come on up, buddy. Thank you so much. Um, it's a privilege to be here with you tonight. Um, so yeah, if, if, if any of you are interested in coming down to, to Atlanta, we actually our team has, has some uh, requirements. We, we, we say that we need to, if you're 5'7 or shorter, you're welcome to be part of our team. Uh, we have pretty low standards in our team. So we also have, we also have body fat requirements. Um, so, actually, a couple of families uh, agreed. They, they said, we want to be a part of this. And we said, I'm sorry, we can't take you. You're not, you don't meet our low requirements, our low standards. So, um, no, but it's great to be with you. And it's, it's, it's really fun to be able to, to kind of get to know the, the Grace family, Grace Church family. I've been to several of the campuses, and it's, it's, a, it's a privilege to be here with you. So, we, we've been in this series called the, the Get to Life. 
and uh, Pastor Tony started that last week, and he, he t- we talked about this, this idea of the, the get-to life. We, we get to experience life, the wonder in the everyday. That's a, that's a great thing. And then Pastor Tony last week told this story of how, you know, he and his friend left, went to the beach, and they left some of their belongings there at the beach, and then they, they went out into the ocean, and they started playing there, and and after a while, after a little bit of fame, their stuff was gone. And they were like, well, what happened with, what happened with the stuff? And, and then they realized that what happened was that, you know, they had drifted. And it's not actually their stuff didn't go anywhere. They went somewhere. And, and they, they were like, what happened? And, and, you know, drift happens. And that's what happens in life, isn't it? That we begin in life and we, we, we start with that new job, that new relationship. And we're like, we get to do this. We get to spend time with this person. But then little by little, that begins to actually, I don't know when it happens, but then you get to this, oh, I have to do this. I have to spend time with this person, right? At first, it's, it's, it's this excitement of, I, have, I, I, get, I got a new job, so I get to wake up at 6.30 in the morning to go to this new job. I'm so excited to do that. And then after a while, it's like, oh, I have to get up to go to the work again. You know, and it's like, ah, have we, we have a new child, and I get to wake up in the middle of the night to, to see the child first if they're breathing. That's the first thing I want to make sure. And then you, you see them, and you're like, oh, I get to do this. But then the drift happens, and then you're like, my wife has to get up and see the child, right? right? That's, that's, that's the drift that happens, and it's just, it's so subtle. But that's what happens in life. And then we, we looked at the story in Luke chapter 17 of the 10 lepers. And if you recall, these 10 lepers were all healed of their leprosy by Jesus. And so they go and they're so, they're, they're so excited. But how many of them returned to thank Jesus? How many of them have had gratitude? One. Only one returned. And, and, and so why, why did only one return? So all 10 were healed. Their circumstances all changed. But only one had, had a heart change. Only one of them came back. to, And so... so Tony was asking the question, well, can we look at our lives? Are we, are we kind of living in that get-to mentality, or are we in that have-to space? So, and we finished with this, with this verse that says in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul says, you know, in all circumstances, in all circumstances, be thankful. In all circumstances. All circumstances. Really? Well, I don't know if you're anything like me. I'm thankful when things go my way. I'm thankful when things happen the way I want them, right? So, you know, if, if you get the new car, you're thankful. But what happens when you crash the new car? Not so thankful. But Paul said, be thankful in all circumstances. Well, what about, what about you know, we're, we're, we can be grateful, we can be thankful when that new job happens. Are we so thankful when the layoffs happen? Not so much. Are we thankful when that, you know, that potential perfect spouse comes our way? We're like super grateful. But then when they break up with you and through a text, then we're not so thankful, right? Or through Facebook, imagine. On your wall, <laughs> hey, we're done. <laughs> um, right? So we have, we have this, this, this tension. Well, how, do we, how do we actually have thankfulness in the middle of bad circumstances how do we how can we actually be thankful grateful in the middle of bad circumstances it's 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 a it's a fine line it's it's something difficult 
uh, to try to do. So what we're going to do is actually delve into a little bit of what happens when there are circumstances that are just awful, terrible. How can we be thankful? How can we be grateful when there are hard circumstances? In the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, of suffering, how can we be thankful in the midst of that? So in order to do that, I want to take a step back because this discussion of suffering can, can, can um, actually spark a few questions in, 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 in the minds of people. So for instance, um, a lot of people would say, well, if God is all-powerful, why is there suffering in the world? That's an important question to think about. If God is all-powerful, why is there suffering in the world? That's a big question. Now, um, I'm not going to answer that question today. That's not what I want to camp today. It's an important question. Uh, some people say, well, if he is all-powerful, couldn't he just get rid of suffering? Yes, he could, but he doesn't. We agree that there's suffering. If he is all, all he, if he's a good God, doesn't he want to get rid of suffering? That's, that's a hard question. And so, but, but I don't want to camp there tonight. That's a big question. That's kind of like a cosmic question about suffering. And, and just, I want to say just a couple things about that, and then I want to kind of move on. Um, so as a, as a follower of Jesus, here's what I would say about the cosmic reality of suffering. I believe that God created a world where there was no suffering. The original design of the universe was no suffering. Then he created man and woman in his image with choice. And in, in that choice that God gave them, he gave them the, the ability to choose to follow or choose to not follow him. In their choice to not follow him, it's called disobedience. That's called sin. In that sin, in that moment of sin, suffering entered the world. So suffering was not part of God's original design. It was actually part of the, the, the consequence of sin. And so, and actually, sin and suffering go kind of hand in hand until the expiration date when sin and suffering are taken out of the world through the person of Jesus Christ at some point. So in the, in the interim, right now, we live between when sin entered the world and when sin is going to live the, leave the world. We live in this interim of suffering. So I just want to say that's I want, to, I want to put that stage. But what I want to talk about today is how do we make sense of suffering? How do we make sense of suffering? What's the point of pain? How do we make sense of all these tragedies that happen in, in our lives? So I'm not, I don't want to ask the cosmic question. I want to ask the personal question of suffering. I'm not going to be able to answer the bigger question. But I want to talk about how do we make sense of that in our lives today? In order to do that, we're actually going to look a little bit at the life of a man named Paul. So Paul was one of the, one of the followers of Jesus. He was actually a very, very important follower of Jesus in the sense that, actually, if you take your Bible, the New Testament has 27 books. He actually wrote 13 of them. Very, very important person. Very influential person. Actually, he, he has lots, hundreds of churches kind of claim back their origin to Paul. Lots of thousands, probably maybe even millions of people who eventually would come to know, become followers of Jesus, actually trace back their heritage to Paul. So he's a very influential person. And he, he had all kinds of good things going for him. So imagine one time this, this, this Paul was going from one city to the other, 
And he was actually knocked off his horse by the resurrected Jesus, and he actually had a conversation with Jesus, right? I mean, is that not cool? I mean, it's not cool that you get knocked off your horse, but it's pretty cool to talk to the resurrected Jesus, right? Wouldn't you say? And so all this stuff, and he, was, he, he had all kinds of stuff to brag and boast about. Like, for instance, he was an ethnic Jew, right? He was an ethnic Jew. He was someone of the ethnic people of God. He was so well-educated, there's the term Pharisee. He knew the law backwards and forwards. He spoke several languages. I mean, he was a prepared man. He had all kinds of things to brag and boast about, right? And so we're going to go to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you need a Bible right in front of you, there's a Bible, and it's page 808, 808. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're actually going to look um, at a story, a, a little bit of a, of a self-portrait um, of Paul and how Paul makes sense of suffering, how Paul views, how does, he make, how does he make sense of pain and suffering in his life? Because at the same time, while he, was, he, he had a lot to brag about, he also experienced a lot of suffering in his life. So we're going to get kind of a glimpse as to how Paul saw suffering. So um, in order to do that, we're going to actually look at, at verses 7 through 10, but let me give you a little bit of context of verses 1 through 6. So verses 1 through 6, um, most scholars, actually Paul here, um, starts talking in third person. I know a guy who, and he starts talking about like this, I know a guy. Actually, most scholars think that he was actually talking about himself, right, in third person. So he was like, hey, I know a guy that this, this happened. Well, this guy that he supposedly is talking about, this guy says that, that at some point he gets a vision or actually gets, he gets to, get to, to go to heaven, to paradise, and he gets to see things that are unexplainable to other people. And so he's, he's saying whether it was actually a physically, like did he physically go to heaven he doesn't know. Did he see a vision? He doesn't know. And so, but he saw things that no eye had ever seen. That's, and so that's, that's huge. And so this stuff, all these things that have happened in, in Paul's life, the fact that he's a, he's a Jew, he's, a, he's an ethnic Jew, the fact that he's a Pharisee, all these things coming together, you know, that can kind of get to your head pretty quickly, wouldn't you say? And so we're going to pick up on um, verse 7, and we're going to see how Paul actually sees this, this uh, idea of, of suffering here. So he says, uh, middle of verse 7, it says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So, again, he, therefore, what, what, is the, what was he talking about? Therefore, since he had that revelation of going to heaven, since there are so many things, there are so many things that he has that he could brag about, that he could boast about, because of that, God allowed something in his life, and he calls it the thorn in the flesh. This is not a literal thorn in the flesh. It's not a literal thorn. Um, actually, some translations, or so, the, the better way of translating this would be a stake. I mean, a stake on the flesh, something, something that is causing a lot of pain. And the purpose for that was to, to kind of um, stop his conceit. It's, it's a, it was an issue of pride. And so Paul realized that this thorn in the flesh was being given to him to, to curtail his pride. 
It was, it was an issue of character. God wanted to curtail this issue of pride. And, and pride, we underestimate the danger of pride. We really do. We underestimate the actual, the, 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 the possibility of what happens in our life when we have pride. So, so you think of like James chapter 4 verse 6. It says, it says um, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Or Proverbs 16, 18, where, where it says, pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. God has a lot to say about pride, and it's never good. So this issue of pride, this character issue, Paul realizes that this suffering, this, 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 this stuff that's going on in his life, he realizes that it's connected to this issue of pride. But that's not the only thing. Look, look at verse, um, look at the next verse. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So where, what happens as a result of this, of this thorn in the flesh, of, of what God is trying to do? It, it drives Paul to his knees. It, it just, it flattens him. It puts him on his face. And he's like, I need to beg God for this. And it's, it's fascinating. You know, in, in a person actually going on his knees and, and going and, and, and begging from God, he's doing two things, very important things. In, he, he is declaring, announcing, I need you, God. That's very important. That's one thing that he needs to do. But the other thing is he is recognizing God as sovereign over suffering. He's recognizing God as sovereign over suffering. And, and, and he's saying, you know, God is trying to do something here. And I realize that God is trying to do something. I think the way Paul would say it is that God is, uh, that, that suffering shapes character. Suffering shapes character. What is he doing? What, 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 what character issues? He is trying to put humility and dependence inside of Paul. Humility and dependence. It's fascinating to me that whenever we think of character, normally we think of an independent person as someone of character. But see, in, God's, in the way God sees things, a, a person of humility, a person who knows how to, be, how to see others in authority, a person who is dependent, is a person of character. This is how God sees character, humility and dependence. Um, several years ago, three years ago, um, we had a spell of uh, staph infection go through our family. So first one of our kids got it, and then that went to another kid, and then I went to another kid, and um, we had, we had a, a newborn, and the newborn was, um, he, well, the newborn was newborn. The, the middle, the, the third child, he was two years old, and the staph infection started going through our, through our family. And he got, he got a little spot right here in the cheek, and I remember seeing it, and that staph infection started spreading and spreading and spreading. And then it was like, we saw it on a Saturday, and like by Tuesday, this staph infection was like all over, his, all over his body. So we went to the doctor. We got some antibiotics. And the antibiotics weren't, weren't kicking in fast enough. So in the, at night, I remember picking up my son. And I just grabbed him. And he started screaming and screaming and screaming. And I was like, what, what happened? And I lifted up his shirt. And his whole body was just red. It looked like he had gotten a, a really bad sunburn. And he was saying, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And so I tried to give him some water. And, and when he took water, he couldn't drink it because the staph infection had gone inside his body. He was two years old. And so we, we rushed to the hospital. We get to the hospital. 
And as soon as the doctor sees him, he's like, you have to go immediately to, a, to, a, to another hospital. So they rush him by ambulance to another hospital. And we had a newborn, so I went with my two-year-old son to the hospital while my wife stayed with the other kids. And so we got to the hospital. We went to a hospital that had more specialized, uh, a more specialized facility. And, and, and as we're there, um, you know, the, the nurses start working on him. They, they put an IV on him, and they're pumping him full of antibiotics. And we actually ended up spending several days there at the hospital um, for this staph infection. And I, I remember this one moment. It was probably 2 or 3 in the morning. And, and my son, he was fast asleep. And the nurse came in. And they were like, we need to wake him up to, to give him another shot. And I was just like, oh, come on. Like, I don't want to wake him up, you know. He imagine, like, his sleeping, his... And I was like, we, we need to do it. And I was like, okay, let's wake him up. So, so we wake him up, and, and as he wakes up, he's like, I don't like Walichin. That means I don't like medicine because he saw the nurses. And he's like, I don't, well, I'm like, I'm sorry, buddy. Like, you have to do this. So the nurses started working on him, and, and they're going to give him the shot. And he just wouldn't move. And he kind of grabbed his little arm, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't say it. And he starts crying and screaming and screaming and screaming. And in the middle of all that, I'm sitting there, and I'm just dying, you know. Because my little guy there. And in the middle of all that, he just starts screaming. And he, he's like, Daddy, 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 you know, Daddy. And then he, like, reaches out his hand for me to grab his hand. And so I come over and I just grab his little hand and I just hold it. And when I grabbed his hand, finally grabbed his hand, he finally lets go of the other hand and lets them work on him. He just wanted to hold my hand. I think that's actually the place where God wants us when we're calling to our Heavenly Father in the midst of pain. And dependence and humility are something that God treasures in our lives. Suffering shapes character. And He allows those things because they shape our character in a way that, that it develops humility, it develops dependence, and those things are precious to Him. So, what, what, so how do we kind of apply this? Because since suffering shapes character, we actually get to, we get to exercise dependence and desperation. We get to exercise dependence and desperation. In the midst of the worst trials that we have, we get to depend on God. We get to. It's an opportunity. We don't have to. We get to. We get to depend in desperation. When, when you're at your wit's end, we get to cry out to God. We get to have this Father who will reach out His hand and grab yours and say, I got you. In the middle of this trial, I got you. Another thing is that we get to have hope and lament. We get to have hope and lament. You know, trials are difficult. Trials are hard things. It is, it, this does not mean that we don't lament and we cry and we grieve. No, we, we grieve and we cry. And in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our tears, we still get to see the hope that God is trying to give to us. You know, there's a, the book of Psalms has 150 books. And they're, and they're kind of divided into different types of books. There's one type of book or one type of one genre of the book of Psalms that's called Lament. They are actually, actually psalms. Like, if you want to check one out, read Psalm 13. I would advise you to read that. Where 
you know, the psalmist, the person who's writing it, says something like, man, this life is terrible. I hate my life right now. Everything is awful. God, why? How far? How long, God, are you going to lead me? How, why? What is your problem, God? And he's crying out like that. You know what the amazing thing is? Who are they written to? They're written to God. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of lament, there is hope. And, he, and, there, and, and God loves that. He loves when his children come to him. And he says, life is terrible. He says, I know, I got you. It's okay, I got you. So bringing our lament to God, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a precious thing that we can do. Bringing our lament to him. It's, it's something that, that, is, that, that we can practice. We get to lament in the midst of hope. So sh- suffering shapes character. Look at, let's continue on. So, so you have um, Paul who realizes who has, who has this thorn in the flesh. We don't know. I, by the way, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. We, 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 we don't find out anywhere in the text. It doesn't tell us. Some people think it's an eye illness. Some people think it's like some mental health illness. We, we actually don't know. Um, but that's really not the point. It's almost like insert your thorn here because it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is we can... We can talk about any, any kind of thing. And it's, it's a great thing that we don't know because it, it could be any of the things that we can struggle with. So it's a point of reference for us. So Paul is struggling with this, with this thorn in the flesh. He knows it's shaping his character. That's good. And so he pleads with God. He begs God, please take it away from me. And check out how God responds to this. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the nicest no I have ever seen in my life. God says no, but he never says no. It's like, it's, like, it's, it's Paul saying, God, you don't understand, this hurts. I'm, I'm dying here. I'm dying. Please take this away from me. And it says he does it three times. So some concerted effort of saying, God, please take this away from me. And it's, God says, no, Paul, actually, I'm not going to take it away from you. But what I am going to do is I'm going to give you the grace and I'm going to give you the power to go through it. I'm not going to take it away from you. I'm actually going to give you the grace and the power to go through it. Nicest no ever. But God is giving him the resources, giving him the ability, the power for him to go through the toughest of circumstances. I'm telling you a lot of stories about my kids. and There's a, there's a point to that. Um, a, a couple of years ago, I, I, we, I took my three oldest kids to the park and um, took my three oldest kids and, and, and there were seven, five, and, and three at the time. And we went to the park and so they, we're, we're sitting there and so the seven and the five-year-old um, are like, hey, let's have a race, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's have a race in the swing, like, you know. And so the seven and the five-year-old are, like start swinging and the three-year-old right, is sitting there, and he's just like, right, like, he, he ain't going anywhere, <laughs> like, he's just not moving, he's just like, like the little leg swing, I don't wonder, I wonder where he got those little legs from, but, and, and he's like, just sitting there, like, and so he's trying, and he looks over at his brother and his sister longingly, like, oh, man, I wish, <sighs> so he's just in defeat, and I'm sitting there watching, like, laughing, that's pretty cruel of me, isn't it? But I, I'm sitting there just laughing. I'm like, oh, that's funny. And so this little kid in the feet, and then finally he kind of gives up, and then he, like, gets an idea. He looks over to me, and he says, hey, Dad, 
can you help me? Can you push me? And I'm like, sure. So I get up, and I'm like, right? And then all of a sudden, he's like, and he, you know, beats his brother and sister. You know, that's, that's pretty smart, right? When you find yourself at your weakest, you call on someone who is stronger, right? And that's exactly what this passage is saying. When I am at my worst, I am actually at my best. When I'm at my lowest, I'm actually at my highest. Because when I can't, he can. When I can't, I call on the one who can. And, and my weakness becomes my strength. When we're strong, we're self-sufficient. We're self-reliant. But when we're weak, we're God-reliant. We're God-sufficient. And so this is, what, this is what Paul is saying. God said, no, I'm not going to give you I'm not going to give you, take this away from you because I know that when you're down and out, I can come in and do something amazing that you cannot fabricate on your own. It has to be me, right? It has to be me. Suffering strengthens confidence. Suffering strengthens our confidence in God. Not confidence in ourselves. Not that I'm confident, oh yeah, like cockiness. It's not self-confidence. It's confidence in Christ. It's confidence in what God can do. So this kind of plays out in a couple of ways. Because of that, we get to see our brokenness redeemed. We get to see our brokenness redeemed. You know, I, I am sure that all of us in here have sad stories in our lives. We have moments, we have parts of our lives that are that are full of brokenness. We all have those. The amazing thing about how God works is that it's, it's precisely those, moments, those places where you're most broken, where he pours the most grace and brings out the most beauty. Where we're most broken is where God brings out the most beauty. So for me in my life, I grew up in a broken home. I grew up in a broken home. I did not grow up with my mom or my dad. I grew up with my grandparents. So the idea of family has always been something that has been really close and dear to my heart because I, I, I kind of grew up in a, in, a, in, a, in a broken environment for that. Well, if you look at my life today, I would say that probably where God's grace and God's power shines the most in my life is in the area of my family, right? God has taken what was most broken in my life and he has restored it and made it the most beautiful in my life. God's power shines in the weakest of our areas. We, the, 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 the saddest or the most painful parts of my story have become the most beautiful parts of my testimony. That's, that's what God does. We get to, we get to see our brokenness redeemed. The other thing we get to do is we get to live naked. That's kind of weird, I know, sorry. We get to live naked, but what I mean by that is we get to be authentic, we get to be vulnerable with people. We don't have to put on a facade. We don't have to put on a mask, right? Because if my weakness, if my weakness is a mirror for the power of God, then by all means, I, I walk around with my weakness, not with my power. So we get to live naked. We get to be people who are open and say, yeah, you know what? Life is tough right now. Actually, this move to Atlanta at the end of, of November, it's, it's stressful, Right? I don't know why I signed up to, to preach this week, to speak. It was, it's stressful. God's, God's power is brought in weakness. Right? 
And so we get to live naked. We get to be authentic with people. And I know, you know what? The church gets a, a bad rap a lot because the people say, well, you go to church and, and people are all smiles, all smiles. Ah, hi, you know, and, and, but, but you push a little deeper and what do you see? They're hurting. They're, 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 they have problems. They have suffering. Yes, that's true. So maybe we don't need to have a happy face all the time. Maybe we can live and show uh, 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 the suffering that we're actually going through. Because in the suffering, God is, God's power is made evident. So we get to live naked. Another thing is we, we get to comfort others. We get to comfort others. When, when you have been through trials and tribulations and suffering in a specific area. Oh, man, I, la, la, a couple of weeks ago I met a guy... Um, I, I met a guy at, at another campus, and, um, and he was like, you know, I, I've been an alcoholic for a long time. Um, he, he's like, I've been dry for seven years, and I just came to know Jesus in the last, like, couple months. And, and he said, you know what my dream is? My dream is to help people who, to recover from, from alcohol. I want to help people recover from that. The place of his brokenness actually became the place of, now, now he's going to give comfort to others. He's going to give help to others. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not following Jesus, let me, let me, let me, let me just say that I, I, I came to know, I started following Jesus when I was 16 years old. And Jesus has taken those areas of my life where I had pain, where I had suffering, and he has turned them around. And they're actually some of the, best places of my life because of his work in my, in, in my life. So we get to comfort others with the comfort, with the help that God has given us. Suffering strengthens confidence. <clears throat> so we have Paul who, gets, who has these visions and who has all, all these things that, that, are, that are his boast, his, his, his pride. And then he gets this thorn in the flesh this messenger of Satan to torment him. And he's like, this is terrible. It's tormenting me. And so what does he do? He drives him to his knees. He prays to God and says, God, please take this away from me. And God says, no, Paul. Instead of, give, of taking that away from you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do you one better. I'm going to give you the power and the grace to go through it, not take it away from you. So, so Paul is like, okay, so look at how Paul responds to this. Look at his response to, God's, to, God's, uh, to what God says to him. Look at verse 10, uh, second part of verse 9. Therefore, therefore, since God is going to give me the grace and the power to go through weakness, and since he's given me the throne in the flesh, therefore, because of that, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I'm strong. That's crazy, okay? Like anyone who reads it, that's just crazy. You go like two verses before and you see Paul, what's he saying? Lord, take this away from me. I can't stand it anymore. Please take it away from me. It goes from burden to what? Oh, I boast in it. That's awesome, Lord. Thank you. This is great. He goes from burden to boasting. Where just a couple of verses ago, he's saying, this is tormenting me. It's a burden. And what is it? Now it's a delight. He, the, the place of defeat becomes a place of delight. And he's saying, this is, Lord, you're doing a great work in this. I, I thank you for this. Suffering 
transforms perspective. We go from, do you see Paul here going from defeat to delight? Going from burden to boasting. In just a couple of verses, his perspective completely changed. My, my son, the one I've been telling you about, um, just, uh, I don't know, probably like a few months ago, he started, like, we would catch him going like this, like, he would, like, close one eye and go like this. We're like, what, what are you doing? He's like, I think I, I think I need to go to the eye doctor, guys. We're like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, he's five years old, by the way. Like, his name is Julian. Like, I need to go to the eye doctor. We're like, why? He's like, I think I need glasses. Okay, so there's a five-year-old, no one needs glasses. Okay, so we take him to the doctor, and sure enough, he was right. He was right. He actually needed glasses. So, so just last week, he got, you know, a five-year-old with glasses, right? So he got his brand-new glasses, and so I went to, to, the, to the place to get his glasses on. And so he got his glasses, and, and we expected, what, what I expected was he was going to be like, oh, this is amazing, I can see so, so much better now. I can see clearly now. Like the song goes. No, he, he, he's like, I, I can, actually, it doesn't work that way. I, I guess I didn't know that, but it doesn't work that way. It takes the mind a little bit of time to adjust to the new perception, to the, to the eyes. And actually, you have to be really disciplined. And I've been so proud of that little kid. Like at night, he just takes off his glasses, puts it somewhere, and then in the morning, he gets up and he goes and grabs those glasses and puts them on all the time. Just so good at it. You know, you realize something? When you and I become a follower of Jesus, we are given a new set of glasses. We're given a new, a new perspective. And in this set of glasses that he gives us, pain and suffering are good. You know, you know what the problem is? Is that we, when, when the moments of tears come, we want to rub our eyes and we want to take off the glasses. And we are in so much pain that we want to see without the glasses that God has given us. We, we take them off and we, we want to see life with the natural eyes, not with the eyes of faith, the eyes that God has wanted us to see. And so we, we, we miss the perspective. We miss what God is trying to do because we're not seeing with the, with the lenses that he gave us. So, so this, this whole idea that, that suffering transforms perspective. Because we have this new perspective, we get to delight in suffering. Okay, again, this is crazy. We get to delight in suffering. We get to have a flat tire and we say, yes, awesome, I got a flat tire. Anyone who, if you ever do that around anybody, they're going to think you're nuts, all right? Yes, I got a flat tire. Yeah, that extra long line at Starbucks, yes, God is working in my life. That's awesome. But here's the thing. If we don't work on that perspective in the little things, we're not going to be able to do that in the big things. Right? So if we don't work on this incrementally in the small things, we're going to get to that miscarriage. We're going to get to, that, to, 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 to the family death, and it's going to be really tough for us to see God's perspective in, in that situation. So we get to delight in suffering. The other thing we, we do is we get to run into our pain instead of away from our pain. This one is particularly, I, I want to kind of lean into the idea of pain in your actual life. I, I know that, I mean, a room this size and, and with this many people, all of us have had some wounds in our childhood. We have been rejected by somebody. We have been neglected by somebody. And those are pains that are, 
that are very hard to deal with, right? And because we get this new perspective, because our, 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 uh, we get trans, transformed in our perspective, um, here's the challenge. Can we actually, when, uh, here's what I do. I, I don't know about you, but one of the ways that I run from my pain is by, by picking up the intensity in the things that I do. When I feel pain, I pick up the intensity. So, for instance, you know, I will quiet down my pain. I will medicate my pain by working out more. I will medicate my pain by making the music a little louder or maybe by eating a little bit more. And we kind of medicate our pain and we kind of quiet it down by, by just putting effort in other things. But what if we actually took a step back and said, I see the pain, I sense it, and instead of walking away from it, I'm going to do something really courageous, and I'm going to turn to it, and I'm going to walk right into it. I've done that a few times in my life, and it's been really painful. It hurt like crazy. And I haven't cried more than when I've done that. But you know what? There is freedom in that. There is freedom in facing those pains in the pa- of the past. And by the way, this, this, this thing of facing your, your pain like that, it's not something you want to do by yourself. That's more like a guided tour than a self-exploration. You need someone to debrief. You need someone to process that pain with. So I would invite you to, to you know, you have a trusted friend. Maybe you have a pastor, someone who is close to you that you say, you know, there are a few areas of life in my life that I have profound pain that instead, and I don't, I don't want to run away from it anymore. I want to face it and I want to walk into it. Because of what Christ has done, we, we get that. I love this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right before this happens. Uh, what is, what is it's, he say? It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. You know, you know what that's saying? We don't, we don't dare take off the glasses and look with our natural eyes. We don't dare to do that. We need to put on the, the glasses that God has given us, the glasses of being a follower of Jesus, and see everything that way because then we see the eternal. If we take off the glasses, you know what we see? We see the temporary. And we need to put on the glasses and see the eternal. So suffering shapes character. Suffering strengthens confidence. And suffering transforms perspective. There's a verse in the book of Romans, and Paul also wrote Romans. And here's what he says in this. this. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the the good of those who love him. Let me me pause right there. Uh, You know what? Let's, Let's read it together at the same time. Right? Ready? Okay. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe it? Like, like, honest to goodness, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that everything, all things in your life, work out for the good? That there is a good Father, good God, who is doing everything in your life, and that He actually has good intentions in your life? Do you, do you honest to goodness, believe that? Well, I think a problem that we have here is that we have a problem of definitions, right? Well, Someone might ask, what is good? Oh, that's a great question. What is good? Uh, you know, if I could define good in my own terms, here's how I would define good. What would be good? Good is comfortable. That's good. I like comfortable. You know, 
what is good? Good is healthy. I, I like healthy. Good, that's, that's good. I'd call healthy good. Wealthy, that's really good. Wealthy, that's good. Fame, that's pretty good. Prestige, that's good. God's definition of good is a little different, though. Let's keep reading. Look, he says, um, who, uh, for, so we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And here it goes. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. I actually want to make the case that God's definition of good, I have highlighted what I believe the definition of good is. God defines good as being conformed to the image of his son. That's what he means when he says good. That's what he means. When God says this is good, he is talking about the image of his son being conformed and being put in a person, right? So when God is is shaping your character, what is he doing? He's shaping the character of Christ in you. When God is strengthening your confidence, what is he doing? He's strengthening your confidence in Christ. When God is transforming your perspective, what is he doing? He's transforming your perspective so that you have Christ's perspective. So how do we make sense of suffering? I think this is Paul's answer. How do we make sense of suffering? God uses suffering to conform us to the image of Christ. God uses suffering to conform us to Christ's image. That, that is, that's what God is doing. All suffering in your life, we see it. We get to suffer because we get to be conformed to the image of Christ. We get to be conformed to Christ's image. You know, it's fascinating. When, when you go back, you go back into Genesis chapter 1, and, and God is looking at all the things that he makes, and he says, that's good, that is good, that is good. He, he looks at everything, and he says, that is, it's all good. And then he creates man and woman in his own image, in his image. You get the image thing? He creates them in his image, and he says, that is good. And then men and women sin, right? So that image is marred, it's, it's fuzzy, right? And so Jesus comes on the scene, and he dies, he lives this perfect life. He, resurre- he dies, he resurrects, he, he dies, he takes the suffering, the ultimate suffering of dying a death that was not his and, 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 and suffering the separation from his father that was not his fault. And because of that, when he resurrects, he calls us and he says, now you get to have my image from what I've done. The image that God put at the beginning that is what he wants to put here to a, for us here at the end. It's being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what he wants. He wants to shape character like Christ. He wants to strengthen your confidence to be like Christ. He wants to transform your perspective to have the perspective of Christ. Do, do you really believe that you have a good father, a good, good father who is looking over and saying, I want to do good things for my children. I'm a good God who is actually doing, who's conforming us to the image of his son. Last year, I got to go to Alabama for Thanksgiving. I won't try my southern accent because it's pretty, it's not good. You know, English is my second language, so accents don't, don't really come out really all that well. Um, so I got to go to Alabama, and so we took the family, and the family we stayed with, the Woosley's precious family. We actually lived in Alabama for a couple of years, so we, that's how we knew them. And, and we got to stay at their house. And they have one of those, um, they had a basement in their house. So, you know, 
and my wife and I stayed in, in, the, in the basement, and the kids stayed upstairs, which that's a win, right? <laughs> the kids stay in the other room. So, so we're downstairs, and, and they're upstairs. And so, like, two or three in the morning, I hear little footsteps. And I'm just like, oh, great. Because I'm the one. I'm, I'm the night shift guy in our home, like always, right? I'm the light sleeper in the house, so whenever the kids wake up, it's, it's on me, buddy. It's on me, always. Oh, I'm not resenting that. That's just how it is, okay? It's on me. So little footsteps come, and I'm just like, oh, great. So then I hear the door open, and then this, this kid comes. It's Julian. And the, he, was, he was four at the time, and he comes, and he's like, he's like, la, 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 quesadilla. I'm like, hey, what? We speak Spanish at home? And so he said something like, I, I had a quesadilla. And I'm like, wait, what? And the, actually, the, the Spanish word for, for, for nightmare is pesadilla. But he got confused, and he said he had a quesadilla. So I was like, maybe you had a quesadilla, which gave you a pesadilla. I don't know. So, so I'm like, wait. And then I figured out, oh, you had a pesadilla. Okay, okay. So, so he's like, okay. So I'm like, you know, good dad. What, what does a good dad do? He goes, takes the kid, goes, tucks him in. You know, so, so I'm going to do that. And so I get up, and I grab him by the hand, and, I'm, and I start walking out. And it is dark. It's really dark. There's, like, one light in the kitchen. And as I'm walking up, I'm like, this kid went through all this. Like, I have this, like, irrational fear that someone's going to grab my leg from behind when I come out of, empty, of, like, dark space. I don't know why. But so I'm, like, going up, right? And so, so I'm, I'm, like, going up the stairs, and I'm like, it's really dark. This kid, like, that's amazing. And I'm like, hey, by the way, so what was your, what was your, what was your nightmare about? He's like, oh, um, uh, I had this horrible nightmare that, that you were this evil monster that wanted to kill me. I'm like, me? He's like, yeah, you. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay, thanks. I'm, you know what? I actually do love you. Like, you know. And then as I'm, as I'm walking, I, I went and I tucked him in and I, I put him in his bed. You know, we prayed together. And, you know, later on, a couple of days later, I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, so he woke up in the middle of the night having this nightmare of his father wanting, it was an ogre, a monster, and he wants to kill him. And then he still gets up in the middle of the night and walks through all this darkness to find his daddy, whom he just thought was a monster who wanted to kill him. You know, you know, you know what dawned on me? We... We have so many lies in our head about who this heavenly father we have is. And we actually let those lies dictate what we do. Whereas my son chose to believe what he knew to be true about me. And he acted based on what he knew to be true about me. And he went through the darkness to find the comfort of his father. We have a father who is infinitely better than this father. We have a much better father than this father. And our culture and our mind tells us all kinds of lies about this father. And we need to act based on the truth that we know about him. What truth do do we know about him? That he loves us. He loves us with an infinite love. He is a good father. And he wants the best for us. So in the midst of your darkness, when you are in the middle of darkness, when you're trying to, when you're in those dark times, 
We need to run to the Father, the good Father, who is, who is shaping, who's taking all this darkness, and he's causing all things for good. And what is that good? Well, how do we make sense of suffering? How do we make sense of darkness? How do we make sense of pain in our lives? He is taking all things, everything, and he's using it to conform you and I to the image of his son. He is a good father, and we are loved by him. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. We, we, we recognize, Father, that sometimes our minds play tricks on us. Our minds sometimes believe, they believe lies about you, what people have said about you. And yet, Father, you, you show yourself to be a loving God in Scripture, a loving God who would love us enough to send his son to die on the cross so that we could have a relationship with you. Father, I pray, I pray for all the suffering that may be going on, the suffering that's represented here, Father. I know that, that there may be a miscarriage, Father. There may be that stage four cancer diagnosis that, that may be heartbreaking, Father. There may have been that breakup. And, and Father, may we trust you enough to realize that you are good and in the midst of all the circumstances, in the midst of all the situations, you, Father, are calling us to yourself and you're molding us to the image of your son. We thank you so much because we can trust you. In your name we pray.